All right, let's open in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for, um, for today, for your day, for the church, for this family that we have, and for um, this, this guy that we're talking about today, Martin Luther. I thank you that, uh, uh, for, the, for the effect that he's had on the world and for our faith personally, God, and I pray that we'd uh, be able to learn well, and as a result, we'd love you more, not because of Martin Luther, but because of um, what you have to say through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so are you guys uh, familiar with Martin Luther at all? Have you guys like, heard about him? Studied him in school? I think um, so. Michael, he did. Uh, he, I guess this is the end of a three-part series on the major reformers of the faith. So, just to give you a little background on the Reformation, the Reformation it was a time back in the fourteen uh, hundreds, fifteen hundreds, sixteen hundreds, fifteen hundreds and sixteen hundreds, more accurately, where um, the uh, the the uh, heritage that we come from, we call ourselves Protestants. We came out of the Catholic Church, and um, that has affected the way that we look, we view the Bible, how we view God and Jesus and salvation, and um, it's had a huge impact on not only the Christian world but also the whole world in general. So, one of the uh, major figureheads is Martin Luther. So uh, let me like. I just want to like get a gauge as to like how much you guys have heard about him. Um, what do you do? You guys know anything about this guy? Like what? What have you heard about him? Started the Reformation. Okay. Did he walk march in Selma? Oh, yes. In the 1960s, this guy he marched with like Al Sharpton and Louis Farrakhan, and they uh, he's a guy responsible for the civil rights movement. <laughs> <laughs> or the, okay, so I'm not sure if uh, Martin Luther King King Jr.'s parents named yes. Martin Luther after him, but yeah, they're both a huge figure. So if you go on uh, Google, type in, you know how they have the autofill? If you type in Martin Luther, there's always Martin Luther King Jr. It'll autofill for you. But Martin Luther, he was a guy from Germany. And um, what we're going to do today is we're just going to go through, we're going to spend about maybe mm, 20, 25 minutes going through Martin Luther's life. And um, we're not going to cover every aspect of it, but we're going to talk about how, uh, what led him to um, sort of confront the Catholic Church and um, the ramifications of all the stuff he said and wrote. After that, and af- at the end of at the second half of the class, we'll talk about the major doctrine that came out from his life, which was justification by faith alone. So, I have a, I have date, the major dates of Martin Luther's life here. In 1483, he was born in Germany. And just to give you guys a little background as to uh, this, this plays into how he viewed God and how he viewed his own soul. So he was born to really strict parents. His, uh, like he, he, he wrote that his parents would sometimes spank him or beat him until he started bleeding. Uh, so he, his parents were very stern. If he messed up, uh, he just, he, uh, <clears throat> like he, he'd just be afraid of them. And this sort of played into how he viewed God. Um, so fast forward a few years, his dad was his dad had high ambitions for his son. So Martin Luther's dad said, "You know, I want you to become. I want you to, to go into law." So he uh, went to school. He became a, first. He got a. We have in 1501. He started his education in uh, the University of Erfurt. Um, this is a, I'm going to pronounce some like German names. So there's a little harshness to uh, the German language. So, Erfurt. Um, 1502, he re- received a degree in the liberal arts. 
And uh, three years later, he received a Master of Arts, and then uh, he started planning for law school. So this is what Martin Martin Luther's parents wanted him to do. They wanted him to be successful. They wanted him to become a lawyer. So um, a few things happened to him when he was in school. Um, Back uh, in the the early part of the 1500s, there was something called the Black Plague. Have you guys heard of that? And it wiped out a ton of people in Europe. And this affected Martin Luther directly because three of his close friends in college were killed by the Black Plague. So the reality of death really like got to him. So remember that he, he viewed his parents were really stern with him. So this played into his view of God. God was a mean God. God was a stern God. God was out to get bad people. And then the Black Plague comes along and then his friends die. And the reality of death becomes real for Martin Luther. So we'll fast forward um, a little bit, just a few months later, 1505, Martin Luther was caught in a huge violent thunderstorm. And this, like, I don't know, like, we don't really get violent thunderstorms here in California. And I don't know if you guys have ever been caught in, like, just really bad weather. But um, supposedly Martin Luther went through a storm that was, was strong. It was violent. And it scared the poop out of Martin Luther. So it was in this violent rainstorm that Martin Luther, he changed his plans He said, I'm not going to become a lawyer anymore. Because he was so afraid, he vowed that he would become a monk. He'd become a monk. So um, he did. So he he quit his, he uh, abandoned his plans for law school. And he, oh, sorry, we we may not have enough um, worksheets, so you guys might need to share. But um, to hear Martin Luther, he made the decision to become a monk. And, uh, and. So he entered the Catholic Church. And just to give you an idea of what the Catholic Church was like, the Catholic Church had sway on every sphere of life. They were, like the, um, we're talking about in the 1400s, 1500s, people were afraid. They, people were dying because of plague or um, famine or whatever. And there was just a general sense of uh, just scaredness and darkness. That's why people call the, uh, this period the Dark Ages. Um, and so the Catholic Church had a huge sway on the li- on everyone's life. Um, they they were they provided the hope for people. They said like you know if you're a good person then you will um, you can escape this life into eternal joy and happiness in heaven. So the Catholic Church uh, was when you were born there was uh, what's the um, what's that first thing that ba- when that the Catholic Church does for babies when they're born is it like. Um, I forget. There's like seven seven sacraments that the Catholic Church performs on people. There's um yeah, there, there's communion, there's baptism, there's um there's other ones that we don't practice as Protestants, but um, I forget what they're. Well, anyways, when you're born, the Catholic Church does something to do that. Um, the Catholic Church is the what is the was the institution that approved marriages, and if the Catholic Church did not recognize a marriage, then you weren't legally married, uh, and just. Uh, from from birth until death, to the last rites, the Catholic Church, for for basically everyone, uh, they they had some some influence, some some they touched on everyone's life. So, uh, the Catholic Church was huge. It controlled politics. It controlled the economy, and and Martin Luther he entered the church from this thunderstorm where he was became so afraid that he vowed to become a monk. So, fifteen oh five. He entered the Augustinian Monastery at Erfurt. And this was the one of the strictest monastic orders. 
um, it was said that the the monks in this order they would um, regularly just beat themselves phys- physically. They would starve themselves because this would um, this would identify them more with Christ. This would bring them closer to God. So he took the monastic vows. 1506, um, 1507, he t- he was ordained a priest, and somewhere around this time frame, he went to Rome, which is where the headquarters of the Catholic Church was. And when he went there, he had these high hopes. He's like, um, "This is gonna, this is gonna be so good. I'm gonna t- gonna make a pro- pilgrimage to the center of the Catholic Church." And he just was like, "I I can't wait to see what um, this visit is gonna hold." But when he got there. He was incredibly disillusioned. He saw that, okay, these priests, they, um, he noticed that these priests, they lived worse than the common person in terms of morals, in terms of just, wow, there was, um, there's, there was not that sense of holiness that you would expect in a holy place. And Martin Luther, he, he became really disillusioned with the leadership. He became disillusioned with the way that things were running in Rome. But he continued on in, um, in, his, in his journey in the church. And it was Martin Luther would write around this time that he was, during this time, he was a, God was someone that he would dread. He was afraid that, you know, for all the sins that I did, I deserve punishment. I deserve hell. And this drove him crazy. It was said that, you know, one of the things as a Catholic you're supposed to do is if you commit a sin, you go to a priest and you confess your sins. And it was said that Martin Luther, he would go six times a day, sometimes for up to like four hours at a time, going to the priest, confessing, these are all the things I did wrong. And then he would go back again a couple hours later and confess all the sins. And it was said that the priest there, they became so annoyed at Martin Luther. They said, stop coming to confess to us. You're doing it way too much. But Martin Luther, this, I mean, he was, remember at this time he was still, had the view that God was out to get him, that if he did something wrong, that God was going to punish him. And he, the righteousness of God and God's holiness, he said, was something he came to hate. He hated the fact that God was righteous. He hated the fact that God was a judge. And he just lived with this constant um, fear of, of judgment and impending doom upon him. So... But then his work, he was, he was the most devout Catholic. Um, and he said he was, uh, he was the most um, uh, loyal to the Pope. And this was something that he, he, uh, that he identified himself as. Just uh, people saw him as a good Catholic because he did all the things he was supposed to do as a Catholic monk. And he excelled in his teaching. So in 1512, we see that uh, he, was, he began work as a professor of theology at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. In German, a W is pronounced with a V. v. Wittenberg. 1514, he becomes a priest of Wittenberg City Church. So <clears throat> what happened here? We see uh, three years later, we see this, uh, the, the posting of the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door, uh, the Castle Church door. What was it that led Martin Luther to um, post a 95 Theses on the, on the church door? Do you guys like remember, remember anything from your history classes? Wasn't the church like charging for having to, if they did uh, try to get uh, confessions or whatever? Yeah. They would charge them and they thought they were wrong or something like that? Like, yeah. So basically, um, there's, oh, there's 
So remember uh, something that we don't we don't um, teach, but the Catholic Church teaches is so there's something called purgatory. Do you guys know what that is? Does someone want to explain? Okay, purgatory is a place like say that you've uh, you're uh, you identify yourself as a Christian and you've lived kind of a good life, but there's still some sins you've committed that have not been paid for. After you die, if you haven't been good enough, then you go to a place called Purgatory, which is where you might spend a few thousand years, maybe a few million years, to atone for all the sins that you did. And after that, after, per- after you spent enough time to cleanse yourself of that, after you become good enough, then you come out and then you can finally go to heaven. This is something that, that, that was taught at this time. And what and um, this this became um, something that the church really abused at the time. This was the the pope. He what he this was when they, they were starting to build the. Um, has have you guys ever been to St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, in um, Vatican? Like if you if you guys ever get a chance, to go. It's like it's incredible, like spectacular. Like you have to go there to see it. Like it, they've got the paintings of Michelangelo and. Um, these famous artists, and it's just um, like you've seen on TV, but then like if you go in there, it's like wow, it's incredible. It's a beautiful place. They they started building the St. Peter's Cathedral in the 1500s, and then the church was like, um, we need some money to build this thing. So what they did was they started to they said, okay, you can you can actually buy your way out of purgatory. This was called this was something called indulgences. So indulgences. So if you could, uh, so if you had the money, you could pay for the <coughs> sin that you've done, so that you would spend less time in purgatory, so that your time would be decreased, so you could spend, so you could go to heaven quicker. And they also taught not only for yourself, but also for um, people that you know, maybe your parents, your grandparents, or people that you love that are dead already. The more you put in, this adds to it's something called the treasury of merit. Treasury. So if you paid enough, not only would you be free, could you spend less time in purgatory, but also the people that are dead that are in purgatory now, they also can leave purgatory sooner. So, so this was a smash hit for these people. Like how, like just like imagine, like if I knew that I could like do something really bad and just pay for it monetarily. Like, that would give me a lot less incentive to, like, act good, wouldn't it? Anyways, this is what people were doing. They were sort of paying their way, buying their way out of purgatory. And uh, Martin Luther, he, he, realized, he, he saw this as a priest. He was like, a lot fewer people are coming to me for confession. Why is that? It's because of indulgences. These people's sins have already been paid for. They need to confess it anymore. They paid their indulgences, so they didn't have to go to confession. So, uh, and these guys are going to spend less time in purgatory. And Martin Luther was like, wait a minute, something's wrong there. And the main, the main person that behind this was a guy named Tetzel. Tetzel. His, uh, remember Pretzel? Uh, Tetzel the Pretzel. He has nothing to do with pretzels. But um, he said he was a main proponent of um, indulgences in the church. And he was a great salesman. He said, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So... Do you want your Do you want your father? Do you want your grandfather to get out of purgatory? Put your put your money um, as indulgence, and they'll come out. 
And Martin Luther saw that this is horrible. This is a huge abuse of the system. So Martin Luther, he just this started a uh, this started something in him that was uh, it just reacted violently to to what was being taught. Around the same time, around these years, Martin Luther, as he was teaching, he, remember he was still teaching theology. He was going through uh, the uh, Romans and Psalms, and he, he had this verse in this, in Romans. Romans one seventeen, and I have this somewhere down here. The righteous shall live by faith. And this set something off. He said, wait a minute. It's not the righteous will live by giving indulgences. It's not that the righteous will live, shall live by being a good person, but live by faith. And he saw this, and then he saw all these things played into to his thinking, his theology, so we, we get to 1517, October 31st on Halloween. He uh, posted 95 theses on the castle church door. And do you guys remember, this is probably, uh, if, have you guys like, seen cartoons of this or drawings of this? Martin Luther, he just posted um, these 95 theses, these like, uh, these, th- these, um, these, not grievances, but these maybe complaints or just things that the tr- Catholic church had to um, make right this like this is one of the most important days in world history October 31st 1517 when Martin Luther posted the theses on the wall on the church door because it was then that he was a- that people saw how he was able to articulate what he believed was wrong with the Catholic Church which was the hugest institution in the whole world there's nothing more powerful it's it's like one it's like um it's like maybe like a governor of one of the states standing up against the entire U.S. government. But it was even more dramatic than that. It was the strongest power in the entire world. The, this monk, Martin Luther, was. He didn't do it because he hated the church. He still loved the church. And we, we call him reformers. We call him a reformer not because he wanted to, bat, to destroy the Roman Catholic Church, but because he wanted to reform the Roman Catholic Church. He's like... These are the things you can do. You guys can do to make things better. These are the things you can correct to make things right. So, um, so around this time, uh, the printing press was really starting to take off. The printing press was invented about sixty years earlier in the mid fourteen hundreds, and um, this was the the printing press was what the internet is to us today. This was the way of disseminating information. So. The 95 Theses, they were published, they were, it was disseminated across Germany. And people would read these, read the Theses, and then um, it's said that people started writing. They would just like flip out when they saw like, oh, the Catholic Church is doing this sort of stuff, and someone was standing up to it. So people would actually, um, like people were killed as a result of this. Like that's pretty crazy it's because someone wrote something. Um, so the Catholic Church was like, okay, this monk, Martin Luther, he's causing a lot of trouble for us. So we move on to um, 1518 to 1520. There was an inquisition on Luther in Rome. So the church was really concerned about what this guy was teaching. So they, they, were, they had inquisitions. They were like, okay, what exactly is he teaching and how is it affecting us? And should we be doing something about it? Um, it started in 1518. 1519, uh, there were, uh, this, the emperor of Rome was, was, uh, they had to find a new emperor, so th- there was a year, year-ish where they like backed off on Luther. But then in 1520, they started up again and started hounding Martin Luther. 
And in 1520, 1520 um, there's something called the papal bull. It's not like the bull, like running of the bulls, like the animals, but it's a, it's it was a, a declaration issued by Rome, and it was saying that Rome uh, that Martin Luther is uh, doing something wrong, and this is something serious, totally serious, and something needs to be done about it. Um, and then also around this time, Martin Luther was really starting to detract himself from the Catholic Church. He had his followers. So then what they did, they started burning, the Catholic Church was burning his, his books and they were saying like, don't read this stuff. Um, Martin Luther and his followers, they, they took the, the, the papal bull and they burned it. Like, you're going to burn my stuff, I'm going to burn your stuff. It was also like Martin Luther, he was kind of a funny guy. He was, um, uh, he was very witty, he was very funny, but he was also really like, he's not the type of guy you'd want to spend like an evening with at the bar. Like he was just like, See, like some, there are times when he just be like he just showed his anger. He seemed like a sour person sometimes. Um, it was said that it was uh, that he he had like issues with constipation. Some people joke have jokes. They said like you know if only they had like bran muffin back then, then we may never have had the Reformation. And his like constipation played into all his anger at this time. Anyways, Martin Luther was like a really fun figure and very like polarizing figure and maybe a very like. Angry figure, like he's also like he wasn't a perfect guy. He was. Um, people say he he wrote stuff against the Jews. He was anti-Semitic, and he just seemed like a general jerk sometimes. So, anyways, he was still an important figure. So, well, go on. Fifteen twenty. Um, Fifteen twenty one. All right. So this is uh, Martin Luther was called to the. We we would read this fifteen twenty one as a diet of worms, but it's pronounced a diet of worms. So this was a uh, this was when Martin Luther was called to Rome, and he said, "Okay, we're going to have all the cardinals, we're going to have all the all the all the priests, all the uh, all the big wigs in the Catholic Church. We're going to bring him to Rome, and we're going to interrogate him. We're going to figure out. We're going to give him a chance to recant because by this time they've said, okay, this is this stuff that he's teaching is heresy. It's going against the church. But then what's funny is Martin Luther had his supporters like." So, so as he was coming to Rome, it was said that there were like hundreds of Martin Luther's supporters following him into Rome, supporting him. So this was a really big deal. It was um, like, it was, I don't, I don't know what you compare this to. It's like, like bigger than the OJ trial or like, I don't know like what the equivalent of your generation is, but it was a huge thing. So it was here in the Diet Verms that Martin Luther was given a chance to recant saying, like, Martin Luther, you've written all these things um, against the church. It goes against what has always been taught. Will you recant? Will you take back what you've said? And Martin Luther, he took this firm, firm stance. He said, I've looked at scripture and I've written these things. And yes, it's true that I've written all these things that have incited people to violence, that has riled people up. It's uh, in China, just, he's a Gaussi Guan, right? He's the uh, guy that like stirred up the crap. And like made everything stink. Martin Luther, he said, uh, unless scripture and reason tell me otherwise, I'm not going to recant. Here I stand, I can do no other. He's not going to move. And they, this was, and, and Rome was like, okay, you're a heretic. Uh, and this was at this time, we move on, 1521, he was excommunicated. He was no longer part of this institution that he loved so much. But Martin Luther, this whole time, he's, he was taking in more Bible. He was hearing, he was reading more of what God was saying. So he, at this time, he was being fed by God. 
but he was excommunicated by the church. So, um, 1521, he was kidnapped. It was kidnapped in quotes because his friends kidnapped him to protect him, and they took him to this place called the Wartburg Castle. Not the Wartburg, the Wartburg Castle. And um, uh, it was during this time, Martin Luther, he was like a, a pretty good linguist. He translated the, the Bible from Latin into German, the New Testament, and he did that in a relatively short time. He published the uh, first German New Testament. And people actually say it's a really good translation, even to this day. Um, and then a few years later, he, he, he uh, translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into German so that all of Germany could read what the Bible had to say, not just what the Catholic Church had to say, but what the Bible itself had to say, what God had to say through the Bible. So this was a huge thing. This is... Um, like we talk about the, uh, can you guys tell me what the five solas of the Reformation are? The five solas. There's sola. Scriptura. Scriptura. All right, there. This means that Scripture alone is where we get our authority, right? This was a huge thing. There's a sola gratia, which is um, salvation by grace. So that's uh, sola gratia. There's sola fide, salvation by grace through faith alone. Sola fide, and this is what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. There is sola um, sola deo gloria, and there's what's it? Oh, sola Christus, yes, Christ alone. And then sola soli deo gloria. So these are the five solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Martin Luther recognized the importance of this. So we want to give the people access to the Scriptures. So he translated the Scriptures. Um, and then, so that was a big thing. Um, we're going to focus in on this, Sola Fide. This is what Martin Luther had a huge issue with the Catholic Church with. So with that, we're going to move on to our, um, our second part, Justification by Faith Alone, in just the next 10, 15 minutes. Um, all right, let me finish up Martin Luther's life. Um, 1546, Martin Luther died. And Martin Luther, Luther, being the jerk that he was, he said, he wrote, When I die, I hope that I become a ghost, so I can haunt Rome a thousand times more than I ever could as a live person. So, yeah, like, if you read his stuff, he's, like, he's actually pretty funny. He's a... Uh, He's, I don't know like what you compare him to, but he's a smart, smart guy, and he wrote a lot of stuff. But he died in that time, and... Um, he, if you go to the library and look up the works of Luther, it's 54 huge, thick volumes. That's crazy. With, like, machine. Yeah. How much he's, it, uh, a lot, some people estimate that he is the most prolific writer in the Western world. Really? Ever. In all of his, he's written more pages. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he was a really smart guy. And um, actually, like, if you read some of his stuff, like, one thing that you guys, if you guys are interested in his work, um, one thing you guys might want to check out is, uh, the first one that I read in college was, um, it was a debate between him and a guy named Erasmus, and it was talking about the freedom of the will. Um, it's, it's pretty, if you get the right translation, it's pretty accessible, and um, there's some other stuff. I think there's, yeah, but anyways, um, even if you don't read his stuff, you felt as, you, yourself, have felt the effect of his life because from that came a whole lot of um, upheaval. The Catholic Church was no longer the power that it was. And a bunch of guys called the Pilgrims 
they took this idea that he instilled in people's mind, namely the freedom of religion and the freedom of the individual, and they became um, so crazy about it that they went off and started a country called America, uh, the Pilgrims in the 1600s. That's kind of simplifying. It's not that simple, but uh, Martin Luther did have an effect on everything. Like, there's, I can't think of anyone that has. I'm sure that other people have had as much influence as Martin Luther, but in terms of influence, he's got to be at least top five in world history. All right. So, why is justification such a big deal? Um, we're going to start off. Uh, um, I'm going to read these quotes of Martin Luther, and then we're going to go through some scripture. And then uh, we'll just see what the Bible has to say about it. We'll have to see what the Catholic Church has to say about it. So, Martin Luther had this to say about justification. By faith alone, this doctrine is the head and the cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the Church of God. And without it, the Church of God cannot exist for one hour. That's how important this this doctrine is. Um, I'll skip the second. You can read the second... uh, Quotes. Um, third quote, if the article of justification is lost, all Christian doctrine is lost at the same time. So, it's a huge deal. And why is it a huge deal? We're all sinners. We are all guilty before God. And in Psalm 130, the psalmist asks this question. It's a rhetorical question. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand against God? No one. None of us could stand against this holy, righteous judge. So this verse that Martin Luther found that changed everything was found in Romans 1.17. The righteous shall live by faith. And this was not something that the Catholic Church taught. What did they teach? Let's move on to this next part. So um, we see here that the Roman Catholic Church, the view of justification. Oh, let me explain to you guys what justification is just so we can wrap our heads around it. (laughs) Justification is the act of God declaring you not guilty. It's being right with God. And we all want to be right with God. This is why it's so important. What makes you right with God? This is what the, the Roman Catholic Church taught. Um, justification is not only the remission, it's not only the taking away of your sins, but also sanctification and renewal of the interior man. And that sounds okay, right? But let's break it down. What exactly does the Roman um, Catholic Church teach? Number one, there are two steps of justification. Number one, on uh, the next page, the first step is this. Justification begins at baptism. This is when you are first justified. It eradicates both the guilt and corruption of the original sin. So when you're baptized as a Catholic, your sin is removed. This is the first step in justification. And at this point, this is when grace, we use this word infuse. It's like, um, say like this is your, these are your, this is your heart and this is grace. This is when grace becomes infused in your life. Um, it's inherent. It's part of you now, um, and this is this is grace alone. It's you know the the uh, what, we don't want to like misunderstand what the Catholic Church teaches. It's not that they teach salvation by works. It's that they teach it's salvation by grace plus works. So there's grace is a part of the Catholic Church. Like grace is a part of salvation, but there's another part, final justification, which is the result of cooperating with this inherent grace. So you've got grace in you. But what if you sin? Um, that means you're not cooperating with this grace that's in you. Um, and by doing so, but, but if you're a good person, if you obey what the Bible teaches, if you obey what the Catholic Church is teaching, then this is this plays into your salvation. This plays into your justification. So by doing so, additional grace is merited. So this is grace plus works. 
Um, so if you commit, there's two types of sins in the Catholic Church. There's the venial sins, which are sort of like smaller sins. But if you like kill someone, if you rape someone, if you download the illegal music, <laughs> this is mortal sin. And this is what can remove grace from your life. And this is going to lead you to purgatory. So grace is lost being committed a mortal sin. But you, so here you're in the state of purgatory because you committed a mortal sin. What do you do to get out of it? Penance, penance. You do good things. Back in Martin Luther's day, it was you pay money for the indulgences so that you could come out of this place and go back out. So Martin Luther was like, wait a minute, there's something wrong with that because that's kind of not what the Bible teaches. Um, but the Council well, of Trent... I mean, the, the paying for it is the worst abuse of it, but I mean, to put the best face on it, it, you don't pay, but you have to do some good act. Yeah. The best movie that illustrates that is The Mission. Has anyone seen the movie The Mission? He commits a murder, right, which is a mortal sin, and then he confesses it, and the Catholic Church says, okay, now you have to go to, like, Brazil and be a missionary. But in, to get there, he straps on this cross, and he has to climb up the waterfall, <laughs> and he's, like, dying, he's, like, cutting himself, and that is, like, a perfect picture of the mission. Yeah. Well, you know, penance. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. No, no, that's that's good. Um, so this is yeah. It's it's you have to do things to make up for the bad things that you've done, basically, right? Um, so the Catholic Church, they even as Mike, even as Martin Luther reacted against this, the Catholic Church was like, no, we're right. So Council of Trent, you see this next one. They condemned the concept of justification by faith alone, which is what Michael, Martin Luther found. They 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 uh, condemned it as another gospel, meaning that it was, uh, in Galatians it says, if anyone preaches another gospel, let them be anathema, let them be condemned to hell. So this this concept that, that we believe, the Catholic Church at the Council of Trent, they said, um, if you teach this, if you believe this, you are condemned to hell, if you believe what the Martin Luther is teaching. So, uh, what did Luther teach? And this is more, the I think, the more biblical thing, is um, uh, number one, Justification is distinct from sanctification. So, let's go through the uh, uh, ordo, ordo salutis, right? So there is um, there is uh, election, and then there is what is for election. Re- so I mean, it depends. Yeah, quick point: regeneration. Regeneration. Call. And then there is justification. Yeah. And then there is um, sanctification. And then there is glorification. All right. Glorification. And let's focus on these two things, justification and sanctification. The Catholic Church teaches that justification and sanctification are two steps in the same process. So if you want to be justified, this work of sanctification needs to be part of it. You need to do good. You need to keep the rules in order for this step to be complete. But we Protestants, we believe, no, these are two separate things. Justification is one step. Sanctification is another step. So um, justification is distinct from sanctification. It's not a process of transformation. Um, from a condition of sinfulness to a state of justice. So we believe that justification is a one-time thing that is said and done, and that's it. There's nothing else to add to it. Um, so 
uh, Catholic Church, they say, you know, if you're sinning, you're not really in grace, you're not really um, in line with this, this thing. But then Martin Luther, he had this saying that is um, something that we need to remember. Uh, believers, are, are, believers are simultaneously just and sinners. So this phrase, simul justis el peccator, it means that we're both just and we're sinners. So what happens if I sin as a Christian? Does that mean that my justification is lost? The Bible says no. If we sin, that's part of our life as believers here on earth. We're going to continually sin. We're going to continually mess up. But the Bible says, you know how God views you? I view you as perfect. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. You are still perfect in my sight. Which is a huge, huge difference from what the Catholic Church was teaching. Alright, so any works performed by the believer will fall short of the righteousness that God's law requires. So, going back to this idea of penance... No matter how much you do, no matter how well you do it, it's going to fall short of what God is requiring you to do. Nevertheless, believers are accepted as fully righteous already through faith in Christ. Um, so once you're justified this one-time thing, you're, you're, you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. God declares you as righteous. That's it. No more questions asked. I'm not going to condemn you anymore. Um, and then um, ju- justification is a for- forensic declaration Forensic is just this like legal term. It's God saying like, okay, this is it. I declare you just. I declare you righteous in my sight. And that's it. This is it. There's, the, the, the case is closed. We're not going to visit your sins anymore. This is it. And then, um, so here we get this point of sanctification. Sanctification isn't necessarily a part of the Christian life, but it's distinct from justification. It's distinct. So two different parts again, just to repeat. Uh, make sure that you never... Um, mistake these two. So how does this play into how we live our everyday lives? If we, if we know we're Christians, but when we sin, what are some of the things you try to do to make up for it? You might say, oh, I've, I've, I've done something wrong and I've fallen into the sin again. What am I going to do? Um, I'm going to volunteer my time more. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to treat my parents better. Or I'm going to read the Bible more. Or I'm going to give more to the church. So that I can be right again. And Martin Luther and the Bible are saying, no, wait a minute. Those are two different things. You don't do those things to make yourself right with God again. You are right with God even though you sin every single day. You are right with God because God doesn't look at what you do. He looks at what Christ has done. And this is huge. And if you live, if you live with the, this uh, Roman Catholic view of justification... You're going to be scared all the time. God is going to punish me for what I've done. But what the it's Bible... It's going to be an insecurity. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You can never be certain mm-hmm. you've quite been good enough. Yeah. And if your justification is based on your sanctification, then you don't know, even to the very end of your life, you're always going to be somewhat insecure. Mm-hmm. But if, as what Luther says, your sanctification is based on your justification, you have rock-solid confidence. It's like the difference between um, your relationship with an employer and your relationship with your father. You have that absolute security, and from that, you can you you can yeah. try to live a life pleasing to the Father. Yeah, and this yeah this is huge. This is like um, this, is, this is everything. Yeah, no other major religion teaches this. This is yes. the gospel, and yeah. when you guys mess up like this, what Martin Luther taught and what Martin Luther set off 
Um, it affects us today because, why? Because we're going to sin all the time and we're going to feel guilty all the time. And the Bible says, Romans 8.30, or Romans 8.1, um, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that hymn that we sing all the time, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who died to take away my sin. We look to Christ, not to our sin when we mess up. And when Satan says, you should feel bad for what you've done. You should feel guilt. You should be condemned for what you've done. God is saying, no, I'm not going to look at your sins. I'm not going to look at your mess ups. I'm going to look at Christ. And my punishment was laid on Christ. And you don't have to pay any penalty for what you've done. So, that's uh, last two minutes. Um, I'm going to have um, you. Uh, can you do uh, Philippians 3.9? And then, uh, Amy, can you read um, Romans 3.28 on the sheets? Gary, can you do Romans 5.1? And then Mary Lou, can you do Romans 5.9? And Harry, can you do Galatians 3.4? And uh, we'll start with, have you found it yet? Philippians 3.9. Yeah. All right. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Thanks. All right, and uh, Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Thank you. And Gary? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks. Romans 5.9, Mary Lou. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be justified from the wrath of God. Thanks. And Galatians 3.4. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Alright, so this concept of justification by faith alone is a biblical one. It's taught throughout, not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. We look at Abraham and, um, and the, all these Old Testament figures that, kind of, that, that looked not to their own righteousness, but they, looked, they put their faith in God alone. So, um, so that's it. This is uh, what Martin Luther taught us and led us to. And this is huge, and you look like you want to say something. Yeah, I do. I mean, first of all, you did a great job. Um, I, I just want to emphasize again, the difference is that the, the Catholic Church teaches that justification happens, ultimate justification happens at the end of your life. You can never say, I'm justified, until the very end, and then God looks at the entirety of your life and says, okay, good enough. Um, but the, but the, the, the Protestant position, Luther's this great rediscovery, is that you're justified by faith. Right? That, that final verdict comes when you believe. And he says, good and faithful servant, you're in my kingdom. Even though, at that moment, you've done nothing. So it's, com- it's, not, it's not at all based on your, your, your life. It's not at all based on your good works. And of course, the follow-up question is, well, then if I'm justified, why should I even want to be sanctified? Well, if you even ask that question, you don't even understand justification. Because if you've been justified, you're going to want to be sanctified, right? It's going to drive you to be yeah. sanctified. There's, there's a... And then if you're not sanctified, that just shows you it's a fruit the fact that you're actually not justified. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I would say, like, so faith in, there's something called saving faith, and that's, there's there's intellectual assent to what Christ has done. There's saying, like, yes, uh, uh, Christ died for me, and uh, God loves me. We can say that, but then if we really have been changed by God, like, the illustration we use a lot is, if you get, like, hit by a Mack truck, you're not going to be the same person and how much greater is God's grace than a Mack truck? If, you're, if, if you've been like hit by that, you're not going to walk into like a building and say, like, yeah, I think everything's fine. Um, nothing has changed. No, it's not going to be like that. You've been hit by something way 
stronger and bigger and more glorious than a freaking Mack truck, even hit by the grace of God. And um, because of that, there should be some desire to to live in response to that. And if if you don't, and if if we don't feel that, then maybe we need to rethink. Okay, have I really put my faith in Christ? Do I, do I really have saving faith? There's a Luther quote: "You're justified by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone." Thanks, Martin Luther. All right, um, this final one, uh, imputed righteousness, not infused righteousness. Um, this, uh, Christ, it, it's not only Christ's death that, uh, that cleanses us of our sins, but also his righteousness. Christ lived a perfect life so that God doesn't view us as merely innocent. God views us as perfect, as if everything we're supposed to do, um, we have actually done. So Christ, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness. We are right, the righteousness of God. Not because we do good things, but because of what Christ has done. And that's, a, that's Martin Luther, so... Is that why... Let me throw, it up, let me throw a softball question to you. Is that why the New Testament calls us saints? Uh, I think so. <laughs> um, well, if you read the, the New Testament letters, Paul's always calling the Christian saints. And, the, and then uh, the Roman Catholic would say, well, saints are only these super exemplary Navy SEALs that are the holy. But Paul says, no... Even the worst Christian is a saint because they're a saint because of Christ's righteousness. That's crazy. It's crazy. Wade the saint. <laughs> no, that sounds okay, but like. <laughs> saint Wade. Saint Wade. <laughs> All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Martin Luther, and uh, may we. Uh, may our lives be uh, just a tenth as effective. Uh, may, uh, may our lives be as a hundredth as effective as he has been, and may we change other people's lives. Um, Not because of Martin Luther, but because our lives ourselves have been changed, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.